0: Hello and welcome to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Brondike. And today I'm joined with Dr. David Vanderpool, who's a surgeon, missionary, and founder and CEO of Live Beyond. So stay tuned. Hello and welcome back, everyone, to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Brondike. First of all, thanks for tuning in today. If you're a first-time listener, welcome. It is an honor and pleasure having you on board today in our conversation with Dr. David Vanderpool. If you're a long-time listener, thanks for your continued support. This is your first or 70th episode. I appreciate your listenership and support for this show. And if you have not done so already, if you wouldn't mind leaving a review on Google Play or iTunes, it would be much appreciated. In today's conversation, uh, David shares a bit more about the work that he's doing and with his organization, Live Beyond, which is stationed doing a lot of their work in Haiti, Uh, but David is joining us originally from Dallas, Texas. He started off doing a lot of disaster relief assistance and has since shifted into humanitarian development, long-term care, and infrastructure to administer basic needs in these developing countries faith is the center and it is the way forward for Live Beyond and for David. He shares a bit more how he goes about spreading, sharing the love of Jesus Christ to Haiti um, and to everyone that he encounters along the way. He shares this really great example of First, providing physical needs. They believe it's important to feed people uh, who are starving, who have a hungry belly before you move forward with anything else about sharing, spreading the gospel um, based on however that looks for your theological beliefs. Haiti's religious life is high in voodoos and voodooism, which is very much the antithesis of Judeo-Christianity, but provides a great opportunity for organizations like Live Beyond to step in to promote the kingdom and the health of the society. I'm going to leave it at that for now, but this is a great conversation. We dig more into development and international development, um, into faith in, through, a, through this organization, um, and much more between those lines as well. So without further ado, let's turn on over to the conversation with Dr. David Vanderpool.
1: Thanks for having me. This is great.
0: Wonderful. Uh, it's my pleasure, um, and I'm I'm excited to uh, to uh, dig in. Uh, so I, I know that you've you've spent a lot of your time now in in, in Haiti and uh, doing a lot of work over there. Um, but I know that you're originally from the United States and have a lot of your your upbringing and background is from uh, is is from the United States. So I'd love to. Uh, kind of bring it back a little bit and hear a bit more about your your origins your faith background and a bit more about you know how how you, how you would describe your life what are some of the things that you enjoy doing before you started live beyond <laughs> i know I, I know this is a lot of there's a big this is a big time frame but just a, a bit more uh to, uh to uh, to help better set up your uh the uh work that you're doing now
1: You bet. Well, I was born and raised in Dallas, Texas. Uh, I grew up there, and I was born into a Christian family that had been Christians uh, way back in our history, you know, back into the 16th century, uh, coming over from Holland. And so I had a deep uh, wonderful legacy that uh, had been handed to me by many, many people who had a, a very deep relationship with Jesus. Mm. And so that, that is a foundation that, uh, you know, it can't be ignored. It's just amazing what a blessing that is um, and what a gift that is uh, to us. Uh, I was born, my dad is a surgeon. Uh, mm. I was born in, into that family and um, saw his uh, walk with the Lord. You know very clearly, as well as my mother, uh, he actually had a ministry that uh, took us throughout the world, um, taking care of missionaries, and uh, from a medical standpoint. So it's a real, it was a very interesting passion of his, and uh, he served the Lord in that way uh, for most of my uh, young life, and so I grew up uh, in a family that went overseas at every chance um not to France and Germany and places like that but mm-hmm. uh, to the jungles of uh, Brazil and um, Argentina and Chile and uh, the Middle East and places like that so it was a it was a fantastic uh, foundation for me uh, to launch off off of I was blessed I had the best education I went to a uh, uh, All-boys school in Dallas, it's uh, very elite, had a fantastic education, and it continued through uh, uh, my medical school and then uh, surgical residency. Uh, I married my junior high sweetheart, uh, Laurie Stallings uh, Vanderpool, is my wife, and uh, she grew up in a strong football family. Uh, her dad um, was uh, both a professional football coach as well as NCAA Uh, head coach as well. And uh, so they also had a long history of Christians in the family, very dedicated, God-fearing people. And so the two of us together, uh, we knew each other for for a long time before we married, and uh, that also contributed heavily uh, to a strong foundation for us to launch our missionary work off of. Uh, She uh, is a, My wife is such a wonderful, godly woman. She fears the Lord. She hears from the Lord regularly, and uh, we were partners in this ministry, equal partners. Uh, her gifts and talents are just uh, unbelievable and so useful uh, in the developing world. So she and I uh, were married young, and, and we had sort of uh, talked about doing missionary work uh, throughout our life. And we did so, we sort of dabbled in it. We would go on mission trips, you know, uh, of our own design uh, four or five times a year, but we would always come back home. And uh, I had a wonderful practice, uh, practiced in Nashville, Tennessee for many years, had a wonderful surgical practice, very thriving practice, Mm -hmm. and sort of like everybody else uh, s- certainly physicians you know lived uh, well had hobbies and used to enjoy hunting and woodworking and sports and things like that um but we also always kept on these uh these uh, yearly um uh, mission trips that we would go and we would do medical care so that really over time became to dominate our lives. And we started seeing that the gifts and the talents that the Lord had given uh, Laurie and me uh, were so useful in the developing world. And so the, uh, U- the U.S. started to pale, the, the things of uh, first world countries uh, started to pale, and the uh, the elements of the developing world started to really rise up in our lives. And so we made a commitment that when our youngest child uh, went to college, that we would sell everything uh, that we had and move overseas and become full-time missionaries. And so that all set the stage for that move. And uh, that has been a wonderful move and one that we, we've not ever questioned and we don't look back on.
0: Mm-hmm. Wonderful. And, and, that, and that last move, what, uh, what year was that in?
1: uh that we left the United States that was 2013 so we have been overseas for um uh, going on almost 6 years now wow. sort of crazy
0: wow well um, well yeah as, as you mentioned a lot of experience uh going back and forth um between it, it, it sounds like you know it, it, a lot of it was uh, international international uh whether it's uh, you know emerging countries or countries that are you know quiet quite, quite Uh, below the poverty line Um, but I I wanted to know kind of on these on these previous missionary trips um, I know that in particular it's 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 really great how you're able you're able to use your technical gifts uh, in, in, uh, in the healthcare field, um, being a surgeon. And I know that, uh, especially in, I know in Africa, a lot of African countries, the, the ratio of doctors to, to people is just, uh, it's, it's really, it's alarming, uh, compared to, to what it is here. I want to know what, what was that experience like when, um, I guess this can be, you know, whether, whether this be in Africa or, or in Haiti as well, that, um, kind of how going in, how, was it overwhelming seeing the the amount of people that that really did need care, um, and what, and then beyond just, and then furthermore beyond just a disaster relief, it sounds like you've you've identified that there's something more that you that you have to uh, go beyond. It can't. It's not simply just being there to uh, to kind of mend the wounds or, or put the band aids on, but there's something more.
1: Absolutely. You know, we we noticed that the skill sets that we had. Uh, were very useful in the developing world. And, and like you mentioned, our work uh, initially was primarily in disaster relief. And so acute, sort of short-term, we would go in after natural disasters such as um, tornadoes or tsunamis or earthquakes, mm-hmm. and and also after uh, man-made disasters, so conflict as well. And so there... The, the needs, really, no matter where you go in these bottom tier countries after such events, are all very much the same. Uh, they need medical care, they need clean water, and they need nutritional support. And without any of those three things, people will perish and so, just doing one of those isn't sufficient. And that was sort of the lesson that we learned was that just going in and doing surgical care uh, was inadequate because they didn't have clean water and they were dying from diseases born by clean water, or they didn't have sufficient food, uh, and so their nutritional status, uh, you know, was uh, was deficient. So, we uh, over time sort of synthesized that process and uh, perfected it. And so those were the three elements that we would bring into any country uh, that we went into uh, after a disaster. We've made a transition in our organization that's a little unusual. Most organizations don't do this, but we've transitioned from a disaster relief organization into a development Mm. organization. And so sort of the key differences are the disaster relief is is an acute situation. Mm -hmm. There's an earthquake. There are people who need surgery. They need clean water. You come in, stay four to six months and then leave. The development aspect is a whole lot more long term. And so this is where um, infrastructure is built. And so Uh, we, uh, presently we provide clean water as an infrastructure in our area. We have about 200,000 people in our area. Uh, so we provide clean water to them at about the rate of 240, 250 million gallons a year. And so rather than a quick fix, this is something that is, um, there for the long haul. Mm Uh, as far as nutritional support is concerned, um, we have a, sort of a tiered approach, and so uh, people who come in and who are severely underweight, we actually use body mass index to determine who gets uh, food. We'll supply them with food. But people, though, that are that are, have a healthy body mass index, uh, we will teach them how to farm more appropriately. So mm-hmm. we have a demonstration farm that will allow them to produce their own food Um Instead of being on the dole, uh, in other words. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the medical uh, aspect shifts as well. You know, one of the the difficulties of being short term is it's difficult to treat a a chronic illness Mm -hmm. short term. So, if somebody has high blood pressure or diabetes, that's got to be treated for the rest of their life, not for, you know, two to four months. And so, as a development organization, you know, we are there to. Educate and help people who also have uh, these chronic diseases as well. So, that shift uh, has occurred, and so predominantly uh, we're investing our efforts now in education, mm. uh, both uh, healthcare education and primary school, and everything in between, ag, uh, agricultural education uh, as well. Um, and we we have a facility for people who are mesi- medically I'm sorry physically and mentally challenged mm-hmm. and so uh, dealing with folks that have a need like that and and the thing I think that is the most important thing to realize is all of this is done uh, as a tool to show the love of Jesus mm-hmm. and so we feel like this is how Jesus approached the population as he came in and he healed physical diseases he relieved uh, hunger um, and, uh, and, and gave to people's uh, physical needs first prior to meeting their, their spiritual needs. This is our approach, and uh, we found this to be uh, entirely effective.
0: Well, that's that's wonderful. Uh, there's a lot of different uh, areas I want to touch on, um, just in in your response there. But I think first uh, I want to know. Uh, you mentioned the really the acute versus chronic, um, and seeing the the the, the depth the uh, depth of these chronic uh, conditions, these the, the the these developmental challenges um, in in Haiti. So I want to know, it, really in Haiti in particular, when you first when you first went in. Um, can you share a bit more about that that first experience? I know that the they, they underwent in a, in a, a really uh, in, an awful um, earthquake in 2010, um, and wanted to know what was so you know what what was so shocking and different um, about this experience for you that that allowed you to really move put your roots and say hey, this is this is the place that that I I need to be investing my time in.
1: Well, the earthquake in Haiti, uh, as you mentioned, occurred uh, January 12th of 2010. And we arrived with a a quick reaction team two days after the earthquake. Uh, We set up a large hospital that was on the border of Haiti and the Dominican Republic, who also shares that island. And uh, at our peak, we had 24 operating rooms. Uh, We had about 500 nurses and 160 physicians working uh, in our hospital, so it was a very large operation, um, and the earthquake wasn't a tremendously large earthquake as far as they go, but the building practices are so poor in Haiti that uh, even a uh, a moderate trembler like this, mm-hmm. you know, will uh, pull people's houses down on their uh, on them, and cause significant damage, and so. It was, a, it was a challenging time, much like it was in Mozambique when we were there you know, during the Civil War and, and other places. Uh, they, they all have their own special challenges. Haiti is, I think, a, is a very difficult place to work uh, because they have almost no clean water. They have very little electricity and, uh, and very little sewage control. And so those are three things you really like to have in your hospital. So you have to, you have to provide those things uh, almost before you can get started. Um, the, uh, the Haitians are just almost infinitely behind uh, the rest of the world in, uh, in that respect. So you go to countries in Africa, and uh, you know, even fairly low-tier countries in Africa will have a, a, a fairly robust electrical grid. Uh, but in Haiti, uh, that is not the case. And so some of the challenges in Haiti that were specific uh, to it are just the unbelievable lack of infrastructure that is, that is Haiti on a good day, not earthquake Haiti, just on a good day. They have almost no infrastructure. And, uh, and that makes it a lot more challenging. You have to bring everything with you. You have to be prepared to set your own electrical grid up. Uh, Set your own clean water systems up and so uh, and of course sanitation as well So, you know, it's a that's a bit of a challenge that you're typically not having to adapt to in a lot of these other countries Mm
0: -hmm. Um, And 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 furthermore uh, you mentioned that again the aim is first through physical healing uh, To to then share the the good news of Jesus Christ. I wanted to hear (laughs) Uh, over the past 6 year you know 5 6 years now since you've been in um how uh where have you seen the most impact in 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 your mission and faith as well how how has this uh besides you know this relief and besides these the, the different programs to and different ways that you're helping to to achieve sustaining communities how how have you seen faith become part be, become an integral part of this this equation that does lead to your, you know, your mission of ach- achieving sustainable communities, or at least an, an aim of achieving sustainable communities.
1: Absolutely, you know, it, uh, it's interesting. I had somebody ask me one time uh, who is who was not a believer. So, can't you do this without this faith component? And I said, well, absolutely not. I mean, that would be like trying to drive a car without wheels, you know. It's just not going to go anywhere. It may make a lot of noise and belch a lot of smoke, but there's just not going to be any progress. Faith is the absolute center of the entire thing. Not only the people's faith, but our faith specifically. You know, there's no way that uh, individuals could go through uh, the privations that we experience on a daily basis, and the challenges and the heartaches, uh, the heat, the dust, mm-hmm. on and on and on, uh, without having an absolutely firmly rooted faith. Um, and the, the Lord gives us everything. So, you know, when you say in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread, I, I have a really new understanding of that. I, I have that has been integrated into my being uh, because he does. You know, when we lived in the states, that that would be almost impossible to say sincerely. You know, you, we have bread and meat and everything coming at us from all different directions, but in Haiti, that's not the case. You know, and so it's it has really increased our faith. Um, to see how the Lord always provides for us. It doesn't matter what it is, whether it is uh, water, whether it's food, whether it's health care, whether it is um, you know armed men attacking us. The Lord is always there to provide for our needs. And we have, we have made a, a massive sea change in our faith going from America where we have Plan A through Z, and then we start over with a different, you know, num- yeah. n- numerical system. To having Plan A, and that's it. And uh, you know, not having Plan B really does make you uh, fully confident in the Lord. And uh, that's one thing that we've learned. And it's been so amazing. It's been such a gift from God for Him mm-hmm. to teach us that. That He is our provider. There is no other provider. If we if we try to lean on another provider, that's idolatry. He doesn't like that, <laughs> and so uh, so it's amazing. You know, the, so the faith changed from our standpoint. From the Haitian standpoint, it's just unbelievable. You know, um, you know, one of the things that I noticed early on was if you are preaching to somebody who's hungry, they're not listening at all. They'll listen when their belly's full. You know, or or if you have a a woman there who's brought her baby in, who's got pneumonia in both lungs, and has a temperature of 105, uh, you could sit there and preach to her all day, but until you take care of her child uh, and make him better, she's not going to hear anything. And so this is sort of the the premise that changed our Outlook on missions. So we want to take care of the people's physical needs. So we evaluate to see what their physical needs are. In a very bottom tier country like Haiti, uh, they're they're manifold. You just the list is very very long. So we try to supply those. And so if um, if people are starving, we supply food. But if they're unemployed, we try to employ them. So we employ about 120 people now uh, on our staff who are all Haitian. And so now they are gainfully um, taking care of their families and their extended families uh, themselves, and so it increases their um, their dignity, and and that is so key, I think, to the Christian experience is to improve people's dignity uh, through this, and so the. Uh, I think that's a, p- a point that is oftentimes overlooked as we're out there uh, doing missions.
0: Wow, wonderful. And yeah, I think those, the, the two concepts that you mentioned are two ways that you're, that you're first um, uh, being part and engaging with is through, um, uh, through bread and then through, through work, which are, which are definitely two foundational uh, components found in Genesis. So it's, uh, it, 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 it makes sense. It does make sense. Um, Absolutely. I, I wanted to uh, to know what was what what has been the, what is the Haitian uh, religious climate like? Uh, you know, religious, spiritual. What are what are common practices? Um, you know, in, over the past five, ten years, and how how has that changed recently? If if it has.
1: Well, it's really interesting, uh, and this this is another uh, big problem in, mm-hmm. in in Haiti is that somewhere between sixty and seventy percent of Haitians. Uh, are voodoo worshipers. And voodoo is a openly satanic religion. So it's it's not another denomination. Uh, it is an openly satanic religion. It is a blood worship um, religion. So they sacrifice animals. Uh, there's even talk of human sacrifice. And uh, they throw the blood around. Jeez. And it's, it's absolutely the antithesis to Judeo-Christianity. So we're where Judeo Christianity embraces um, love, Voodooists uh, uh, embrace hate, and where we uh, embrace blessings, they uh, they have curses, and um, where we embrace uh, love and uh, hope, mm-hmm. uh, they embrace hopelessness, and so. It's, it's absolutely opposite in every way of what uh, the, the approach to life that that Christians have and the worldview uh, that Christians have. And so this is something that is a, is a massive challenge for us, and we, of course, accept that challenge. Uh, so a lot of my interactions are with uh, the voodooists mm. and the voodoo priests, and so they actually will have uh, congregations uh, they call them peristyles after the french a uh, peristyle you you will know that well mm-hmm. and um, and so they worship in these peristyles and they um and they they sort of rule their people by fear and intimidation uh, and so it's a uh, it's a very dark Practice, and so you can you can really almost look at somebody in Haiti and and see if they're a voodooist or not. They just have a very uh, vacuous, uh, hard, stony look about them uh, that just uh, it just trans transmits that hate that comes from the enemy. And so these are the people that uh, that we. We are after these are the people that we are after to teach the love of Jesus to, and we've had many voodoo priests and priestesses come to the Lord and become uh, believers uh, in Jesus. And so, you know, and and it's a huge win when anyone comes to the Lord, Mm -hmm. but when a voodoo priest or priestess comes to the Lord, you're taking a leader who albeit is leading in a negative way, and you're transforming him as a leader uh, into a positive thing. And so it's a, it's a huge win uh, both for the kingdom but also for society because you're removing a, a very dark negative uh, from society. And so in our area, uh, we have five voodoo um, peristyles within a stone's throw of our base, and so we minister to these people. And uh, one story uh, that would fit in here that I, that I think is amazing: my daughter, who is uh, 24, and uh, has the gift of evangelism like I've never seen anybody. She would go into these uh, these peristyles and witness to these voodoo priests. She just had a heart for that. And so she would walk in, and they it's sort of a good old boys club. They're drinking and playing cards, and and they're prostitutes and things like that. And she would walk in and say, I want to tell you about Jesus. And they would say no, and, and she would do it anyway. <laughs> so the uh, one such time she did this, when one of the, the most powerful peristyles in our area, uh, the, she asked the voodoo priest, after she had shared Jesus with him, if she could pray with him. And he said no. And so she said, well, I will be back next week. And I bet you'll pray with me next week. So she returned the next week, you know, brought the gospel message, and then asked if she would, if he would pray with her. And he said yes. And so after the prayer, she said, do "You believe in Jesus?" And he said, "Yes, I believe in Jesus, but I can't um, do anything public at this time. I've, I've got to work some details out. Obviously, if a if a voodoo priest comes to the Lord, it's a." It's a uh, it could be dangerous for him because they will they will kill the people who come convert, and so she said, "Well, I'll be back next week." So the next week she came back, and he was sick, and so she prayed over him, and he uh, said that he accepted the Lord again, and uh, so she came back the next week, and he had died, and so the word that went through the uh, voodoo priest in the area was that God had killed. This voodoo priest, uh, yeah, yeah. and uh, I don't know if your theology supports that or not, but um, but that was that was what was going through the community, and they were petrified, and we had more people come to the Lord because of this fear of hmm. God that uh, developed throughout our part of the valley um, after that voodoo priest uh, died, and it was a it was a it was a wonderful thing. Um, not that he died, but it, it was a wonderful thing that it inspired others to turn away from from Satan and uh, embrace Jesus.
0: Wow. Well, that's um, that's very powerful. And again, it's the antithesis of, uh, of of Jesus Christ. And it's I don't I think uh, that that radical of an example we might not experience on a on a day to day basis here in the United States or really in a lot of I think Western culture, um, but. And and I think it's, I can't even imagine how going over there and, and seeing these, seeing these people, but, but really seeing, as you mentioned, you know, the, the facial expression that you can see that there is, uh, this, just this incredible evil power that's within that is, uh, that needs to be that, you know, it's the complete opposite, as you mentioned. Um, so it's, um, it's, but it's really, it's really rewarding and, uh, it's really joyful being able to see that they're, that the power of conversion and transformation that can happen, uh, even in in the most unlikely situations as well. Um, and it's, uh, you know, I I think it's, and it's great that, uh, that, that, that you all are, are directly approaching this head on. Um, I wanted to, is, uh, is, is there a lot of, um, I guess, has it, has it decreased or is there, is there a lot of, uh, is there a lot of change going on in, 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 in folks coming, other folks outside of your organization coming to Haiti to speak directly to um, voodooism or, you know, and, and also doing this type of, this type of work as well?
1: Well, you know, it, it's, it's sort of uh, discouraging a little bit because the numbers of, of, you know, people, foreigners yeah. coming to Haiti has decreased quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So after the earthquake, we had tremendous numbers of groups down um, and you know, everybody gung ho, yeah. and then as time goes on, these groups pack up and leave. And so, um, you know, there, there are wonderful people doing great work there, mm-hmm. but uh, the numbers are, are really relatively few compared to right after the earthquake. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, and that's and that's that sounds familiar to even to New Orleans as well. I went there 10 years after Hurricane Katrina, and there was still uh, boarded up houses 10 years later. So it's, uh, right. it sounds right. like, you know, the, the, the need to address, a uh, something that is not just a year two years, uh, but the chronic nature, uh, of the, you know, the system, but then also how, how uh, incredible trauma, how a disaster does have implications for, for many years to come.
1: It does indeed. Yeah, absolutely. Um,
0: so I wanted to, uh, to all, to also ask, what has uh, what type of perspective uh, for you personally has has it done? Moving to to Haiti full time and being directly again in relationship with uh, with others in in your community and with with others outside of your community, what what I guess additional what additional lens or perspective has this given you that maybe is different than than what you were doing previously? Uh, maybe you know in and out from time to time.
1: Well, it's, it's amazing. And it's almost uh, probably a, a, a book worth of, of changes that yeah. have occurred. Oh, wow. I, I remember, you know, before we would bring teams in. So every month I would, I would close my surgical practice for a week and we would leave, uh, we would lead uh, teams in for a week into Haiti. So we did that from, for about three and a half years before we moved down full-time. And so, you know, That week was a challenging week, you know, we'd bring in 20, 30, 40 people and set up medical clinics, uh, you know, in different parts of Haiti. But I always knew that on Saturday morning, I was going to wake up in my own bed at home and that I would have a shower that would have hot water in it and all the the variety of foods I could ever dream of uh, within a five mile radius of my home. And so that week, you know, you can sort of gut it out and say, you know, I can do this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it through this week because I know that, um, you know, I'm going to have a soft, comfortable bed and an air conditioner and uh, everything I want at my fingertips. And, I, and, and then I very distinctly remember the first time that we watched the trucks bearing our medical team drive away from our base in Haiti. And we're watching their taillights go and we're we're realizing we're not on those trucks going back to the United States. (laughs) And so um, my wife and I were standing sort of on a on the pavilion holding hands, sort of watching these little red taillights disappear into the darkness. And we realized, wow, you know, we're here And, and we burned the ships. I mean, we'd sold everything. We didn't have a house or car or anything like that back in the States. And, you know, that perspective is just so uh, heavy. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's something that really uh, is, a, is an amazing thing. Because being in it for the long haul um, is a whole different perspective than flitting back and forth. Um, realizing that now you're going to be living uh, like the poorest people in the Western Hemisphere that you're going to be experiencing what they experience. And there's not going to be any relief from it. You're going to be in the middle of this uh, from now on. And so it, it's a very sobering experience. Um, you know, when we first moved down there, uh, we had to purify our own water. We had a, a pit latrine that, that uh, we used for sanitation. And we ate sort of whatever we could find uh, in the market. And so I lost twenty five pounds the first year I was down there, <laughs> mm-hmm. and it uh, didn't need to lose that much. I could have lost a little bit, but yeah. so you know it, it, the the sacrifice really becomes palpable uh, at that point. Uh, it's really mm-hmm. just an inconvenience prior to that, um, you know. But then it becomes a sacrifice, and you face the things that the the poorest of the poor face you face violence uh with no justice you know you face uh you know disease you face malaria you face um so many diseases that are rampant in the in the bottom tier countries and it's just an interesting perspective it requires a tremendous amount of faith it it requires a tremendous amount of mental toughness Mm -hmm. um and perseverance and, and it's sort of where you know, you know, when you read through Revelation, uh, the word endurance pops up. It seems like every line. <laughs> of course, yeah. for us, I think we, we see it a lot. Yeah. But that 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 thought of endurance, endure to the end, is what the writer says over and over. Um, you know, it's just amazing that that becomes a reality. To endure to the end. And this is not enduring something that's common to man. So it's not enduring the loss of a parent or, you know, breaking your leg or something like that. It's enduring because you're serving the Lord Jesus, spreading the gospel in a bottom-tier country, a completely optional thing uh, that you're enduring. So it's a whole different level. And I think that's, from my perspective, uh, one of the things that took us a little while to come to grips with, we're I think we're we've embraced that <laughs> at mm-hmm. this point, um, but it's something that I think very very few people really understand.
0: Yeah, this this dependency and trust uh, that you that you mentioned earlier uh, in our conversation, um, and, and really that there's only a plan A and. Um, and the plan A is, a it's a gruesome one, uh, and it definitely, it requires, uh, a lot of, a lot of suffering, unfortunately, but, um, through that suffering, you're, you know, you, you have to have endurance and this mental fortitude, um, to, to move forward. Uh, and it's your, it's almost like you're, you're, you know, kind of, you're getting, you're, you're on the uh, double whammy. You have one where it's already working in a, in, you know, in a, in a very tough country. And then two, uh, sharing the gospel in a very tough country. So it's, it's not, um, it's not, you know, it's, I'm sure it's not, not all flowers and roses, uh, (laughs) in your, in your paths And you're not, when you, when you said water filter, I, the immediate thought is, Oh, I have a, I have a water filter in my house, but it's, uh, it's definitely a different type of, uh, filtering you're doing. I'm sure. Um, right, right, right. Um, but I, you know, now that now that people are uh, fired up and excited to do this missionary work, I well, I hope so. I hope some are. I hope this is encouraging. And um, and I want to know what what advice do you have for for folks who may be considering doing missionary work, uh, whether that be you know domestic or international. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, you know, I think all Christians are called to be missionaries. Um, and so when Jesus said, "Go into all the world and preach the gospel." You know, he, there were no, there's no fine print on that. Uh, you know, there was no exclusionary clause. He said, go into all the world, preach the gospel. And now, I don't know that all Christians are called to do long-term missionary work. Um, I think long-term missionary work is something that's uh, for, you know, probably a few. And even, you know, in Acts, we see that Paul went out on missionary journeys uh, you know we see that Barnabas stayed you know in one place for a long time so there's there's two different elements I think if if people are interested in in missionary work they first need to make sure that they're spreading the gospel in their community um, if if they're not taking care of the poor and and serving uh, the Lord Jesus by spreading the gospel in their neighborhood then there's no reason to go to to Mozambique or Haiti Mm-hmm. Um, that's sort of the first thing, um, is to make sure that we're taking care of our neighbors, uh, and then, uh, spread out the secondly, though, I think it's extremely important that people do short-term missions, mm-hmm. uh, so short-term missions have, have been maligned, um, uh, you know, recently and, and I understand where that's coming from and there, there's ways to avoid those pitfalls, but I think they're vital in, uh, letting you know, what it's going to take to achieve that. It's its almost like saying, I'm going to go run a marathon uh, when I've never run a 100-yard dash. Mm-hmm. You know, it's its just not reasonable. Uh, and so <clears throat> the, uh, the challenges and the difficulties will become uh, a bit more obvious on short-term missions. Uh, but I think before people commit their entire life, as we have, uh, they need a lot of experience with that. Because it, it's a very difficult psychological and spiritual assault that takes care, that takes place when you're in a, in a country like Haiti or many countries in Africa. Uh, and people have to be prepared for that but. or they fail. And we've seen many, many people that have wonderful hearts. They're eager to come down, they want to come and be full time missionaries. They just don't have what it takes mm-hmm. to finish and, and to endure. And those are the people that are damaged by long-term missions because they they don't realize uh, that it's exceptionally difficult. And so preparing yourself uh, by doing short-term missions I think is very, very important. And then I think being uh, involved with a long-term mission, not going by yourself uh, for a while, but being involved in a long-term mission that has solved a lot of the, the problems um, I think is very very important as well.
0: Wonderful. Well, well, thank you so much for that. Um, that very thorough and uh, meaningful advice. I think that's it's very. I uh, resonate, and it's that's very important to to start local, start in your community, and uh, it's a build up process. You can't, as you mentioned, you can't go from uh, from zero, you know, zero to 100 miles an hour uh, in that in that you know short span of time. Um, But and then and finally, just to wrap up, I wanted to know where folks can find you uh, and, you know, the work that you're doing with Live Beyond and also how people can get involved in any way possible.
1: Absolutely. Well, our website is a great way to intersect with us. It's livebeyond.org. And uh, if you go to that website, you'll see uh, how to get involved. A tab, we we bring about 800 to 1,000 short term missionaries down a year. Uh, from, from different parts of the world, and we would love to have you guys come down. It's a week. Uh, it's a Saturday through Friday, and it's a fantastic week. Uh, you see how to take care of people physically and then also minister the gospel as well. So it's a, it's a wonderful time to experience um, how to share the gospel and, and short-term missions in a, in a safe, uh, comfortable environment. And so, go to our website. There's great ways to get involved uh, with us, uh, both uh, actively and, and financially as well. And we would welcome uh, both.
0: Wonderful. And then the the website is www.livebeyond.org. And when when is the the um, that week long trip?
1: Well, we typically they're twice a month. And so, oh, wow. uh, and they're on the website. Sign up for a short term mission is very easy. It's all. Uh, digital. So you sign up online, we communicate with you online and uh, get you prepared for coming down uh, through, through various educational pieces and, and uh, then bring you down for the week. Take great care of you and uh, allow you to use your gifts uh, to uh, glorify the kingdom.
0: Wonderful. Um, well, uh, first of all, thank you so much for for spending some time with me today. Uh, it's been it's been a pleasure hearing about uh, about your ministry, your background, and um, how you're continuing to change the world and, and through Haiti and, and, and through other parts of the world as well. So, uh, thank you so much, Doctor Vanderpool. I very much appreciate it.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.